Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Uh, today's topic, extremely important. Um, my one word to describe what we're going to be talking about today is foundational. Um, you know, over the years, 5, 10, 15, even 20 years, we've been talking about smart, connected buildings, 21st century buildings, next generation buildings. And you're not going to achieve any of those things without the foundation of a very, very strong telecommunications network. And over the years, we've the conversation in the wireless world you know, has ranged from DAS to Wi-Fi. And in recent years, we're talking about things like 5G, CBIRS, private networks. And at the end of the day, um, uh, in order to bring tenants back into office buildings, into malls, you are not going to do it without a very strong telecommunication strategy. And wireless is a major component of that. So what we're going to do today is we are going to bring in the advisory group for the 5G and building wireless symposium at the conference. And, and we typically try not to have you know seven or eight folks on Realcom Live because nobody gets a chance to really talk. But I wanted to actually bring this group on to show the audience the depth of experience and the brain power that we're applying to this very, very important topic. So with that, let's bring on our guests. I'm going to do a brief intro and then they're going to introduce themselves. So we've got um, Elon Zakar, SVP, CTO Car Properties, Joe Rich, EVP, CIO, Related Companies, Nick Stello, SVP, IT, Infrastructure, Vornado, Mike Osmond, CTO, Bedrock, Detroit, John Doolin, President, John Doolin, Global Consulting, John Morris, CEO, Ballast Networks, and Jim Whalen, SVP, CIO, CTO of BXP. So let's, guys, I apologize for the, for the hurry, but um, there's a lot of us, and I want to make sure we get right to the topic, but I do think it's important for everybody to understand your title role as it relates to this in building wireless and telecommunications infrastructure conversation. So Nick, why don't we start with you, brief little background uh, and why 5G is important to you. Sure, uh, well, good morning and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so, you know, what what we do here at Vernado um, is, you know, we, we believe that our tenants, of course, are our most important asset, right? It, it drives everything. And our tenants are really the ones that are um, requiring more and more infrastructure for in-building wireless. They're asking for 5G. And my role here is to work with various groups within Vernado in order to make that, um, you know, a, a reality. Whether it's a new system in a property, whether it's upgrading systems, whether it's adding another carrier that a specific tenant wants, um, you know, our properties have been really focused in on wireless for many, many years. And we're continuing to look at 5G as a serious option. We're looking at CBRS. Uh, we're looking at what will make and continue to make our properties and portfolio valuable to our tenants. And fair to, fair to say that Vornado properties, specifically in New York, very high profile, tenant expectations, very high. This stuff's just got to work. That That's correct. So just a quick overview. So we are New York City centric, 26 million square feet. Uh, predominantly commercial real estate. We do have 1,664 units of residential, um, you know, uh, units as well. So uh, you're absolutely right. It's it's uh, between that, our iconic property in Chicago, the Merchandise Mart, and two properties in San Francisco. Um, our tenants are looking for the best of the best, which we're all trying to uh, deliver. Exactly. Alon? Um, Ilan Zakar, Chief Technology Officer for Car Properties. Uh, we're a more of a smaller uh, boutique compared to the, the people on the, on the call today. 
Uh, but for us, I think the 5G, the wireless component is very important because A, our customers are requiring it. Uh, they want to be able to walk into the building on the phone and want to be able to get it to their space, uh, continuing to be on their phone. Um, from the data perspective, uh, I, I think that we separate the, the Wi-Fi and the uh, and the 5G, uh, you know, for communication within the building itself, either through a the the newer mo the newer models of the Teams, the Zooms, to be able to continue having conversations there. But also, we leverage a lot of the 5G and the Wi-Fi for our IoT and our building systems. So I think that uh, many systems today in in the property, in order to be able to really get them to every every location that we want, we can't always pull cables. So we do rely on the 5G and also on the uh, on the Wi-Fi technology to be able to communicate out. And, and because you have a lot of Washington, D.C.-based tenants, very sophisticated, technically, they, they have high expectations. Uh, fair statement? Yeah, for the good thing, you know, for, you know, on the good thing, we have very low, low number of leases because we have customers with multiple floors that, that occupy. And the bad thing is that we have very small number of tenants, right? But the, the, the goal here is that customers do require uh, and come in and out, out the bat ask, you know, what's the phone reception? What's the data reception? What, what do we get within the building itself? And in some cases, mainly our new development projects require us to actually put a, uh, you know, a cellular system internally uh, because it's a required by the customers themselves. Jim? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I look at, I'm not going to repeat with what Nick and Elon said, but, you know, our customer expectations are really high. We service Fortune 1000 companies, Fortune 500 companies, um, and the expectation that I could drive, I'm in, in the Prudential Tower today, drive into the garage, go up go up the escalator, go up the elevator, go to the 50th floor and never lose a phone call is kind of an expectation and do that traversal through space. Um, you know, in, into my employment space. But so that's that's an expectation. And we have executed over the last 13 years, like 33 to 34 million square feet of coverage with DAS. And and that um, that has been predominantly done with the same methodology and technology. I mean, it has evolved, but not to a, not to an inflection point or not to a change point that that changes the fundamental layout of how that it gets deployed in, in into our building. So I, I and so the other dimension is really to talk on a, pick up on Alon's point is really our, our OT needs, our connectivity needs to the building is are only growing. And you, and it's not only just, you know, for I, the number of IP endpoints that we have to support, but you have to do it with security. Um, and so I look at the price per port, like the price of a wired port and and, and managing and, and putting security around that port to kind of keep a, a connection um, to that. So, so I'm looking for greater convergence uh, and then, and then, and I think we're at an inflection point with both the technology um, and um, and the and the needs, uh, frankly, and the economics uh, to kind of to kind of change the paradigm as we enter the second half of the decade. Well, when I think about this DAS conversation going back 15 plus years, your name and face comes right to my to my uh, head, thinking you've been fighting this battle for a long time. Going back, you know, to the early days where it was just DAS. And, and we're doing 20 miles an hour. How fast are we moving today on the on the wireless conversation? Well, Jim, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, the the economics have changed, right? So if I look back at the last decade, you know, most of that was covered, you know, driven by the carriers. They funded many of the builds in the buildings around the table here, um, and that that those economics changed about five six years ago. Uh, and so now we're now we're self-funding those those deployments. I mean, I've been on I've, in the last two days. I've been on three DAS calls with my development and construction and PM teams. I mean, it still is a is a continuing kind of engagement 
uh, model, but but the you know going back to your point, the economics have changed, so now it's like okay, now we need to take rethink about where we're spending money on this. Like what what are, what are the benefits are we getting out of it? What are the other drivers that we're trying to meet um, in in our own needs um, and justifying the costs um, around some of the expense that we're doing? Well, Joe, you big big assets, high profile assets. Um, your role and 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 your position on the the in building wireless conversation. Yeah, uh, similar to to my colleagues, uh, our customers are first. We're we're a little bit inverted in that our, our largest uh, asset segment is multifamily, um, but certainly in building wireless, the the technology and the issues are, are the same. Um, second, we have a large office portfolio in retail, so we're trying to provide the services and Jim to your point it's foundational and the expectation is also foundational from all of the, those customers uh, as well um, to Jim's point about the economics changing yes there's a lot of difficult conversations with our design and construction and development teams what do you mean the carriers aren't going to fund it anymore and now what do we do um, and I think I think of it more as uh, I'm trying to think about it more as an opportunity uh, and it's an opportunity to try to streamline uh, services, streamline that infrastructure uh, as well, and, and, and look at the newer technologies uh, more rapidly. And I think Jim said it, you know, we're at that inflection point where all these different wireless networks, concepts, ideas could be converging. They're not quite there yet, but I think we all see that light at the end of the tunnel where maybe there is one network that handles voice, data, building automation, IoT, and all the different needs that you have with one network that can be secured and looked at from a cyber perspective. So, um, you know, and it's going to be people like you with the demands pushing the industry to get this to happen. Um, John Morris. Yes. Yeah, so I'm the CEO of uh, Ballast Networks and we're focused on a, being a managed service provider in this space. Um, we're trying to change some of the dynamics within the industry. Um, focused on private networks as a service, focused on the convergence uh, that Jim uh, and some of the other folks on this call have, have spoken about. Uh, our uh, dream really is to make sure that you can actually have that private network that's not a separate layer from the rest of your networks, uh, where you can not only save money on the ports, but you can provide offload uh, for uh, a network extension for the carriers and monetize uh, a lot of that infrastructure in a variety of different ways. And we've got a number of interesting projects in the world. So is it, is it safe to say you're at that leading edge where you're trying different things, not everything's working, you're, you know, up till midnight, you know, sleeves rolled up and really trying to figure out how to get us to that next level? Absolutely. I, I would even take it a step further. Um, the, the, the MOP, the, the method of procedure that we have for uh, what we're doing with AT&T is 10 pages long so far that's tied to uh, that network extension. And a lot of the details are tied to E911, which is, which is really important because people need to be able to uh, call emergency services. Uh, it's not just a question of can I make a phone call, but you know, does the phone call connect and tell the operator where they're at so that they can get, you know, an ambulance or if something were to happen. So right. uh, there's a lot uh, to this. And I think this is moving very fast. So, yeah, and that was my question earlier to Jim was how fast are we moving? It, it feels like things are the pace is something I've never seen. Um, John Doolin. 
Hello, everyone. Thanks, Jim. A um, little bit about uh, background on me. I've been in the industry for 35 plus years. I focus most of my time in the manufacturing side, developing new technologies, specifically in enterprise cabling. And most recently, when I was with Corning, of course, fiber. And I've also been in the in-building wireless business my whole career. And we always knew that the last mile for both wired and wireless was going to end up inside of buildings. And that's why we're finally to this point. And I'm really encouraged to hear, and I see it as well with my clients, that we're finally getting where it's going to accelerate to where we can get the benefit of the promise of things like 5G. Well, when you consider the most calls and data transmissions from cell phones are done inside buildings, and we have a plethora of building automation applications, you would think that the carriers and others would realize that we're, we're it's very important to get this, this in-building wireless thing figured out. Um, Michael, uh, your story is even more interesting from the standpoint that your portfolio spans an entire city, making you almost a smart city perspective. Can, can you share that um, with the audience? Sure. Mike Osmond, I'm CTO of Bedrock Detroit. Uh, Bedrock Detroit owns uh, 120 buildings and 20 million square feet, sort of the central business district of downtown Detroit. Um, we've got a, we, we've had historically problems with coverage downtown. Uh, we, we're close to Canada, so we always pick up Canadian coverage. So we've got a pilot going in one of our big buildings with one of our big tenants of private LTE over CBRS. And, you know, the, I'll say the most interesting thing is there's a lot of people who've rolled out private cellular, but almost none who've rolled it out with voice. It's just data. So when someone talks about their CBRS implementation, they're talking about a data implementation. And so working with John and others, uh, we think we'll have voice problem solved, say this quarter. Wow. And uh, we're also working to kind of break the business model where the carriers expect us to pay because uh, you know, we think we've got an approach that will get us to the point where the carriers want to pay. So. Yeah, and, and, and we've been talking about carriers a lot. And by the way, this conversation that, that everybody's seeing today is really a three-year-old conversation that we've started. Uh, and then it, it took up a lot of steam about six months ago where many of the people on this screen right here are, have actually been meeting weekly or every couple of weeks to try to figure some of this stuff out. And in the, all the, those Friday, the Friday afternoon calls, too. yeah, so, yeah, the, yeah the, the Friday afternoon group, yeah, the late ones, right? right. <laughs> yeah, we ended the day a long week, and we're we're trying to rip into the technical issues surrounding five G and then building wireless. Um, so a lot of conversations about the carriers, and it's been mentioned, you know, the carriers stop providing. Anybody want to just jump out and take a, a quick stab at giving a little history on the carriers' roles, how they're changing, and what we can expect in the next, you know, two to three years. I'll, I'll take a stab at this one, okay. Jim. So I used to run shopping malls for Taubman, and about two dozen of those have DAS. And under the old model, the in-building DAS model, um, they would pay for the whole thing. They'd sign up the carriers, and then they'd pay me 10000 a month in rent if I had three or four carriers. Um, since then, you know, with the new in-building, and I'll say over the last five years now, as someone said, they want the carriers now expect the landlords to pay or if they pay, there's no rent. And the cost of CBRS, which is functionally equivalent to a DAS, 
is about a third. So I believe there's still a lot of money being left on the table because their economics haven't changed that much. So now, now there's a whole bunch of you on this call with a lot of different buildings and a lot of different locations. Is the carrier conversation and relationship the same in every city, every market, every building size, um, or is it is it different? Like so, Joe Rich. So, I mean, you have a, a very large, uh, no, you know, recognizable asset in New York. Is your treatment by the carriers different than say somebody has a smaller asset, or is it now becoming all the same? It's it's definitely different. Hudson Yards is a unique property, uh, and it's it's not even something I could replicate in my own portfolio. So it's not a fair representation. And and honestly, that was four years ago, and I don't think I could replicate that today because the the market has changed that much in in that shorter period of time. Um, looking forward, you know, we want to partner with the carriers, but that partnership looks very different. As Michael said, those, those business economics are, are definitely different, uh, as well. And that we're all trying to work through. Now, if they realize that most of the, you know, communication activity is taking place inside buildings, you would think they would be their front and center to want to invest. What, what, why did they change course even with the big projects? Why? If I may, I, I think, you know, when the Apple phone was introduced in 2007, right, the macro, the outside network simply got crushed. And, you know, to Jim's point, in, in my view is we were driving 100 miles an hour 10 or 12 years ago or so, because whenever someone knocked on our door, one of the carriers, they wanted to build, you know, into a 2 million square foot property. We did everything we could to let them in there, right? Yeah, just offload, we, offload. Exactly. And, and yeah. that was the that was the key. It was offloading. And now it's not so much. Um, so it, it's definitely changed. And everyone obviously has capital constraints. And there's a whole, um, you know, a whole mix of issues. But I think it from from my point of view, I think I think it's really been driven from the macro being more satisfied than than when they started. Yeah, and I would and the other dynamic is I mean I always kind of said that uh, these net these inbuilding DASs were very expensive phone networks. Uh, because you know you you kind of traverse space and your data gets you know from your home out to the network, into a building, you know, into an elevator, into your into your employment space, you know, that has Wi-Fi. So it was really, you know, so so I think the data has kind of, you know, the value of the data play is less and less. Uh, then you you also have the networks that you know the macro in in the, especially in CBDs being built up. So again, the offloading demands and dynamics have clearly changed. Um, although you're still, you know, the, the carriers are still interested in, in having satisfied customers, right? Uh, and and e even even in the voice conversation um, right. so that's still that's still a dynamic that is still uh, still is not um it's, it's still very much a driver so in addition to that you also have the building materials and sustainability so the whole sustainability components in building materials restrict right. you so i'm now forcing right. you to have a signal inside of the building because you're blocking all of the all of the all the services that were coming from the outside, as well as, you know, your 3G, 4G, LG, I mean, all of them that are 5G that are going up, they're making it more difficult to get the signal into the building. So you have to generate the signal in the building. And I, I'm not sure the carriers have yet comprehended that, which yeah. is a big problem. Is, I don't understand. I mean, wouldn't that have been one of the first things you would look to try to figure out and understand? <laughs> I, I mean, well, I, I just, I, I just to, to Wayne, just to first, and I just think that there's a big difference between congestion 
and coverage. So when people talk about outside in and the services within a building, uh, today, I think there's a lot of white space that's created by materials. In the past, it was tied to congestion, you know, congestion on those networks. But I think the bigger thing to really Michael's, uh, Mike Osmond's uh, point, which was tied to, you know, what it is that we're um, trying to do from a, um, not just a convergence perspective, but that there's money on the table that's tied to the fact that you uh, have separate networks. So you're duplicating infrastructure and you're duplicating all of you know, what you do in a head end room, you're duplicating cooling, you're deep duplicating heating, all these things. And so sorting out that business model to me is gonna be really key uh, for the future. And so I think depending on the types of buildings, whether it's residential, maybe it's something that Jim's got that's tied to you know, uh, a research foundation or a research type lab that's got a lot of ports. Having all these on separate systems, separate layers that are going to be managed separately, that you can't, you know, partition COTS hardware uh, to manage a technology stack in a head end room. I think that's where the money is going to be found. I don't know how it's going to all get sorted out uh, from a, a business perspective, but I think it's really relevant in terms of this conversation on where we go ultimately. Well, and, and, and so that, that kind of ties into the business conversation here, not the technology. So we, we kind of understand the carriers are not going to be there to help subsidize. So that's being put on, um, you know, on the building owner operator uh, developer. We all are starting to hear about the upcoming pressures to the market from the standpoint of tenants and occupancy and, and leases um, and debt. How do we get in a, in a potentially challenged economic environment, how are we going to find the capital to get this this particular technology, you know, into the budgets and higher up on the priority list? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Well, we, we in our in our pro, in our new projects that we're doing in Boston, we we ended up having to break it apart. So, the core of the building we provide as the building owner, we provide the um, the the head end of the actual system. We provide the vertical distribution. Um, but then on the horizontal side of it, we allow the customer, if, if, they, if they're interested, to, to buy into it themselves. So we pay for the amenity spaces, but now the customers are responsible if they want to do, do the distribution. They have, they're have they responsible for their own horizontal uh, distribution costs. I'm doing a very similar test model in New York, Elon, so we can compare notes on that success yeah. of that. So, so does yeah, it have but, to be a certain size tenant or how, what does that look like? No. No. Any, any, anyone. Yeah. If you if you want it, you know, it can go all the way from WeWork to KNL to uh, to Inner Systems to State Street Bank. You know, it can be a small one floor, be multi floor or half a building. They yeah. they would be responsible for it. Yeah. So so, but I, you know, coming back to your original question, Jim. I mean, this is when we have to figure this out. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I I need to figure it out for the next cycle. I mean, we need to figure it out for new developments, and I I'm really in the hunt for trying to figure out you know where the where the where the the solution providers align, my downstream vendors align, and, and finding a ripe case for really piloting, uh, you know, an example of this. And some again, I'm, we're all looking at Michael. Michael's out front. <laughs> we're like, you know, so you know, it's been really interesting following his uh, his journey in the last last six months. Well, and and what's going to really be fun, Michael, is at the conference at the at the Inbuilding Wireless uh, Symposium. We're also going to have the city of Las Vegas there, who's deployed, you know, a pretty aggressive. So I'm, I can't wait to sit just and listen to you and them talk about comparing notes and, you know, the voice versus data versus, you know, building automation. I mean, because they, they're doing it at a city level 
and then allowing building owners to to tie into what they're doing, right? So people are making some moves on this and it's it's getting pretty fascinating. And Jim, uh, real quick, there's also a technology advancement part of this that's really getting to what's it going to cost per square foot fully installed and managed. my question. Yep, yep. Um, there is a lot of development happening. We will address this. I'm pretty sure that's on our list about where are the suppliers going and working a lot with the, with the carriers, frankly, but what are they developing? Um, when are they rolling out, you know, new bands and new ways of doing things to quite frankly, make it easier to install, drive labor down, get the price of the equipment down so we can get our hands around. How do we fund this thing right. to provide a, you know, a world-class network? And let's be honest, we, a lot of the buildings we go in don't have a network. So it's an no, issue. The majority do not. The majority do not. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, it's much more expensive in Boston and in New York than it is in DC and in Texas. So, you know, we're experiencing it. Head, is that head, labor? Uh, is that labor? Elon? Yeah. Union, union okay. labor. Okay. And then, and Joe, you were, you were going to say something earlier. Joe Rich, I, I thought yeah, you had a comment. Seventy-five percent of your your cost for a DAS or a, any net building network is is the wiring, is pulling the wires. Um, it's it's not the the equipment. The other thing I was going to suggest is uh, similar to John' comment about the technology. We're seeing in building uh, increase of just IP addresses of IoT devices of between two and four hundred percent a year every year for the last four to five years. Um, and the newer the building, the I expect that to continue to grow. Or, 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 and Joe, come to a life sciences building, and it's a different yeah. dynamic. It is oh, yeah. so. Uh, yeah. That's our that's our business yep. in Boston. Yep. Is yep. all life sciences. So yeah, I, I I agree with you. And we we need all of those devices to talk to something too. And so I'm I'm certainly interested in the the single converged network. It helps. Yeah. So that model. Perfect segue for my next question. Thank you, Joe. Wait, so, uh, Jim, uh, Jim, real quick, and I just yeah. would just say that uh, there's something that I don't want to have missed, which is that there's a lot of aged systems that are in all of these different buildings, and how that upgrade cycle shouldn't be missed as well, because when those things are upgraded, we want to make sure that those are done in the right way, that whatever's being spent is being spent in the right way, and I think it's a bit of a ticking time bomb in terms mm -hmm. of you know, the aging out of some of those systems. All right. So uh, the, this question, I'm going to, all I want you to do is give me a, a one number response as far as the number of years. So imagine a building, 30 story building um, with a box in the basement, all carriers plugging into that one box, a piece of fiber strand going up the middle with some category five, six going left to right with a standardized antenna that covers all spectrums, all frequencies Okay, uh, and, and offers you voice data, building automation, IoT in a box. Starting with Nick, going uh, left to right. How many years till we're at that world? I, you know what, um, the way things are going, I mean, Michael's a good um, example of that. But for a two million square foot property, it might be a little bit different. I'd say a few years from now, maybe three to five years is my guess. Okay, a lot. For, for, for it to be a realistic, yeah, you know, something you can 
in action. Order yes. and impl- to, to the earlier points about something the simple, standard, easy, right? right. Alon, how, how many simple, years? Sta- simple, standard, easy, it's not, but you know, we do have that today. But I would say that for it to be more available and more accessible, maybe you know, three, four years, yeah. Three, four. Jim? I second half the decade. So in their, in their timeline. Okay, Joe? <laughs> we, we can't hear you. You're on mute. I would I would say five. Five. Okay. We're getting some consensus. John, you're in the front lines. <laughs> I I agree that for it to be perfect and easy, I mean, there's a reason it's managed service. <laughs> so I think okay. three to five years is probably accurate. John Dillon? I think uh this may sound uh uh this may cause some issues. I think it's gonna be quicker. I think it's gonna be three, and the reason why <clears throat> When we're finally hearing in this country that there's going to be more and more public-private investment and government involvement, and I, the only way we can get this done quicker is we have to have uh, relationships between broadband funding in this country, and that really, and innovation with you know various state and government agencies. So I think it's going to move quicker than you think. Okay, Michael. I think three years and. You know, in that time frame, you'll have a single converged radio, so you won't have Wi-Fi access points and cellular access points. You'll have one that just broadcasts on multiple frequencies with multiple signaling. Yep. But that's my okay. Take on so, it. so one, and we're not going to get to half the questions that we had ready, as as I knew we weren't. We're out of time, but um, I would just end with what I would like you all to think about. Uh, you know, in preparation for you know the symposium in June is is what can you do as a group representing this collective group of high profile, you know, top level buildings and cities in some case, how can we take it from five to two and a half? How can we accelerate it? How can we, how can you leverage each other, influence the carriers, influence the governor, get some funds from public entities? I mean, if we think strategically about this, five is interesting, but to me, that's too long. What can we do to nip away and, and, and organize, if you will, to, to be more efficient and get this deployed a little bit faster. So anybody got a final thought that you'd like to throw out before we finish? Well, we're going to, this was what, 20, 30 minutes. We're, we're going to spend three, four hours on this topic at the conference. So I'm excited. And we actually have a call this afternoon to wrap up the final discussion points and topics. So guys, I can't thank you enough for today. I can't thank you enough for the last six months. Some of you, the last three years on this topic, some of you, the last 15 years, on 20 years on this topic. Um, your, your collective brain cells are what it takes to move an industry. And, um, I really appreciate that. So I hope you all have a great day, great weekend, and uh, I'll be chatting with you later. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I mean, if you don't get a sense of the amount of, uh, of brain cells being applied to this topic and the, and the level of organizations and the level of individual, um, just rewatch this episode and then just try to anticipate what we're going to be doing at the conference. As I said, we're going to have the city of Las Vegas, who's deploying the largest 5G network in the nation at a city level. Um, we're going to have some folks from uh, hopefully from SCSP. We're going to be talking about global competitiveness, 5G networks in the United States compared to other places around the world, plus all these topics that we just hit the tip of the iceberg today. So with that, let's bring on uh, Mr. Berger, who's going to give us the news. <laughs> I'm sorry, Howard. I knew we were going to run over. Yeah. We didn't even do a mid-roll commercial. <laughs> no, we didn't. I, I mean, it's, it's just such a huge conversation. Uh, and I, I just really want to take a minute, thank the whole group. 
Absolutely. for all of their combined efforts to really elevate the technology awareness around in-building communication. Am I right, Jim? This topic has literally been challenging owners and operators since the invention of the cell phone. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, I, I, I was kind of thinking of Jim Whalen. You know, I mean, going back, I mean, I remember, God, was a real calm 2003, 2004. So that's, you know, almost you know, 20, 19, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. And I remember Jim, you know, you know, standing up saying, you know, we need the help with the DASs. We need the carriers to cooperate. I mean, this, this conversation in one shape or one way, shape or form has been going on for 20. And it has years. not gotten easier. No, <laughs> but I do agree with them. I think we're close. I think, I think we're close to them saying, I don't want 10 different antennas. I, I need three carriers to combine into one box. I need one network. I need to secure it. Uh, and, and I think the conversations are, are finally in the technology are finally at a place where we might see it. So let me get yeah. out of your hair and, uh, you can get to the news and I'll be back when you're done. Oh, thanks Jim. Um, so I got a few news stories from our weekly briefing, which it goes out every Thursday morning. If you don't see it in your inbox, just go to our website, realcom2ms.com, click on news and you can subscribe there. Um, so our lead story is from, um, actually from John Means, the real estate practice advisory at McKinstry. And. As you probably know, J.P. Morgan Chase, JPMC, is constructing a state-of-the-art 60-story global headquarters at 270 Park Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. And John sat down with David Arena, JPMC's head of global real estate, to talk about the project as well as the company's workplace lab where it's experimenting with some very innovative futuristic office technology concepts. Now, JPMC really gets why synthesizing technology, workplace design, and employee experience is going to be crucial the success in their new headquarters buildings. And in this article, Means and Arena discuss uh, how JPMC is pursuing these goals and why today more than ever, a workplace needs a purpose. This by far is one of the best conversations I've seen or heard yet on the challenges of return to office and how JPMC is creating an environment to optimize those dynamics for remote, in-person and hybrid workers. Great read. Uh, next, I want to shout out to this week's tech partner, uh, Mark Petock, Chief Marketing and Communication Officer at LinkSpring, for his article entitled Outcomes, The New Dynamics and Smarter Buildings. So we're continually being pushed to deliver more from our buildings, whether it's occupant experience, wellness, carbon reduction, you name it. And this growing complexity is really making operating and maintaining facilities more challenging than ever. We've been hungry for technologies to help us do a more efficient and effective job of it. But I think sometimes folks maybe get to a little too wrapped up in the technology and lose sight of the fundamental objectives. And Mark uh, succinctly emphasized the importance of taking the time, fully understand and be able to clearly articulate and align all stakeholders around the business, operational, financial, marketing, and strategic outcomes uh, you're looking from your smart building initiative. So this is a great article. Thank you, Mark. Um, also, since 2012, we've been profiling and showcasing outstanding examples of technologically advanced smart buildings, campuses, and portfolios at the conference. And this week, we're featuring two Bloor Street West, a smart retrofit from Kingset Capital and TrioVest Realty Partners in Canada. Now, smart retrofits, huge market se segment, massive opportunity for enabling better energy efficiency, carbon reduction, user experience, but they require expertise with both legacy systems as well as the newer IoT technologies. So this tower at Two Bloor was constructed in the early 70s and has literally been transformed into a truly modern smart building with multiple integrated systems. It was the first building in Canada to receive smart score and features, converge base building network with layered cyber and network management po uh, policies, layered BAS, CCTV, access control, water meters, and submarine 
metering, and it drives really a comprehensive business building business and building intelligence for ESG performance and financial optimization. So another great project uh, from Kingset and TrioVest. And finally, uh, from Philip Russo at the Commercial Observer, an article entitled PropTech VC Funding Down 77% Annually. Now, VC investment in the sector and smart in, in, in the prop tech sector reached 1.69 billion during the first quarter in 2023, which is significantly lower than the 7.44 billion recorded the same period in 2022. And this kind of indicates a cautious approach by investors as they grapple with the uncertainty in the real estate market and the broad, broader startup ecosystem. But it's not only VC investors that are being cautious about prop tech startups, commercial real estate owners and operators are also becoming increasingly resistant to piloting and deploying newer concept, says Vince Cicciarelli, partner at LPC Ventures, who believes the current environment will separate the truly innovative prop tech companies from the rest. So catch up on the state of the prop tech report with this great article from Commercial Observer. So uh, that's that's it for me. Yeah, uh, well, two two. I mean, the 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 lead story, J.P. Morgan. That building was designed and planned before the pandemic. You know, kind of moved forward and started construction during the pandemic, and now is coming out. So, so the whole concept of office and what happens in an office change right underneath. Uh, you know, the the construction of that project. It's going to be really interesting to see. Could they change, adopt, adapt? to meet the new work environment, given that that building was designed at a time that was different, right? And, and early indication is that they've adapted and they've done some really good stuff. So that's going to be one to follow. And then the last one on that prop tech um, uh, funding, VC funding, that's going to be a big topic at the conference as well. Uh, there are some some things changing, moving, uh, not just in the real estate side of the world, but also in the in the, in the investing in companies, tech companies and, and prop tech being a sub. So two great stories, spot on topics, big topics that we're going to be covering uh, just about a couple months. So great yeah. job. Yeah. Thank you. Great job. All right. All right, Howard, have a great weekend and uh, I'll see you soon. You do the same. Thank you all. Good. All right. So before I wrap and talk about next week, let's hear from our final sponsor and then I'll let you know what we're going to be talking about next week. All right. Well, first of all, I would like to thank our extraordinary panel of guests. I mean, I would say these folks are just not uh, peers in the industry now, but are, are friends and and have been acquaintances and friends for you know, 15, 20 years dealing with these topics as they evolve over time. And this in-building wireless topic is certainly doing that. And to have these folks uh, add their brain cells and, and lend their time uh, to help figure out these problems for the industry is very, very much appreciated. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors and, of course, our Realcom team who puts these together each week. So in line with that last conversation I had with Howard about the venture capital investment in the prop tech world, um, the perfect segue into next week's uh, um, Realcom Live seg um, episode. Uh, regional bank failures and its impact on the industry, meaning uh, with uh, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank and others uh, who are in the middle of the banking crisis as it relates to technology, how does it impact prop tech? Uh, why are the numbers down? How much are the numbers down? Um, how much uh, How much success have we seen in the last 14 years, starting in 2009 when we've been investing in prop tech? Just a million questions, which again, there's only going to be a short segment uh, on, on Realcom Live, but this topic is going to be you know, taking us right into the conference and is going to be front and center. So we really hope you join us next week. It's going to be a very interesting, intriguing conversation with two very smart people. 
Uh, Travis Connors, as I said, co-founder and general partner of Building Ventures, and Zach Ahrens, co-founder and general partner of Metaprop New York City. So with that, I would like to say thank you to everybody. Have a great day, great weekend. Be well, and we will see you next week on Realcom Live.